1 John chapter 1, starting in verse 5. This is what the living word of God says. This is the message we have heard from him and proclaimed to you, that God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. As we dive into the scriptures together this morning as a community, let's pray. Lord God, we thank you for your word. Uh, We thank you that as we come to your word today, uh, it's not a list of rules and regulations, it's not a list of do's and don'ts, but we come to your word today as a unified story that leads to your son, Jesus. And we thank you that in you, Jesus, we find everything that we're looking for. We ask that right here and right now, that Holy Spirit, you would move in such power in our lives, that we would not just lean back in this time and check out, but that we would lean in, that we would desire your presence, that we would be thirsty, that we would be hungry, that we would want your kingdom, that we would want your will, because it's the best thing that we could ever ask for. So we just ask that you do something fresh in us. We ask that you give us eyes to see, that you would just unveil our hard hearts and give us a heart of flesh. Would the words of my mouth fall flat, and would you, Jesus, speak here and now? All we want is your presence. We thank you for this time together in community. It's in your mighty name, Jesus, all the beloved said, amen. Uh, I don't know about you, But uh, since it is now officially springtime, I have taken it upon myself to make my my yard look fantastic. And when I mean fantastic, I mean if you pulled into my driveway right now, you would be ashamed of yourself. You would be ashamed of yourself. Uh, But to do that, uh, I almost broke my back, almost broke my shins and my kneecaps, because I spent countless hours this last week shoveling yards of dirt into all of my garden beds, into all my surrounding properties, and it was awesome. Uh, But before I did that, I looked over and they were covered with weeds. I mean like so many weeds. Like it was like just like weeds everywhere. Like you didn't know where my grass was and then where my garden bed started. Do you ever have that kind of emotion? Uh, It was neglected, but it was because I wasn't neglecting my family, okay? Don't judge me, all right? But I thought to myself, okay, I can either like pull all of these weeds or I can take the dirt and just throw it on top. And Alyssa's like, are you sure that's what you're supposed to do? Like, shouldn't we, like, take all the weeds out and then, like, put the new dirt on? And I was like, no, it'll be fine. Like, I don't want to pull weeds. You don't want to pull weeds. Nobody wants to do that, right? So she gives me the side eye. I give her the side eye. You give your spouse the side eye, too. It's fine. It's okay. And I just start (laughs) shoveling. And I just cover all the weeds. Just like with this fresh dirt, and it is fantastic. And I step back, and I look at the glory of my yard, and I'm like, wow, look how good this looks. And then a few days go by, and we come outside to our glorious front and backyard. And my daughter, Asher Joyce, two and a half, goes, "Uh uh-oh, Dad, there's weeds. And literally all over the place, it's just like, like weeds everywhere, like all the hard work that I have put in, like nothing happened. And they just showed up again. Because in all of my efforts, and all of my working, and all of my toil, I might be able to cover it up for a moment. I might be able to make it look good for a moment, uh, but it's just dirt. So it's not that helpful. It's just temporary. 
So it'll have to be dealt with again and again. That actually needs something to come in and get to the root bed, to the, to the decay, to the underneath of the matter, so it won't come back. So there's no more power to it. So that what remains under the surface is actually a deep, rich soil. So that what's supposed to be teeming with life can create flourishing and be lasting and, create, and can create a space for joy all around it. But that's us so much of the time, isn't it? You and I collectively as imperfect people, we use displaced efforts to cover up the proverbial weeds in our lives. That you and I, we don't want anyone to know, so we toss the covering on the top layers of our days, but it's just dirt, so it's not very helpful. And certainly, especially if you're anything like me, we don't really want to put in the work to get to the root bed, the underneath. Why? Well, first, it takes effort, doesn't it? And then second, it takes a willingness to admit there's a problem. And lastly, and maybe most humbly of all, it takes confession to the truth that I have no answer within myself. That I cannot do it on my own. But you see, that's the amazing power in this passage of what we just read in 1 John 1. It declares the truth to us that the effort needed actually isn't that much at all. The problem we face already has the most beautiful solution. And in confession... We never experience condemnation, only grace and freedom. Verse 5, this is the message we've heard from Jesus and proclaimed to you, that God is light, and in Jesus is no darkness at all. How comforting is that singular verse in the ways in which our world is constructed in this cultural moment? I don't know about you, but we live in dark times. I mean, you glance at your phone, you turn the TV on, you walk outside, and it's a dark place. With dark forces at large, the darkness of this life is potent. We don't need to be reminded of it. But Jesus, he is light. And his invitation to us is to walk in the light as he is in the light. That's verse 7. If we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. How incredible is that? If we walk in the light as he is in the light, We have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, His Son, cleanses us from all sin. Jesus, why do you want us to walk in the light? Because that's the place and the space where my grace, mercy, and goodness can and will cleanse you from all sin. That is the place and the space where there is life and life to the full, flourishing in the kingdom that is here and now, in our midst. Not just with the Lord our God, But the scripture says, with each other, as brothers and sisters in Christ, as friends and family members, as co-workers. So you mean, we don't have to cover it up? You know it's there, Jesus? So we can bring it to you and you'll take it? Like upon yourself, for free? Well, it cost me the price of my life. But yes, absolutely. That is my perfect love for you. Whoa, that is a life-changing love. That's a gospel that could change everything about the way you and I live in all of our ordinary moments. Hold on a minute. Tell me more. So if that's the case, which it most certainly is, and if the good news of the gospel, the reality that you and I, imperfect as we are, can become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus, because he who knew no sin became sin, 
Why are we so afraid of it? Why do we sound like verse 8 so much of the time? If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If the maker of heaven and earth, the beginning and the end, the only one ever good, holy, and beautiful in this life, looks at us, right here, right now, looks at us, willingly chooses us, calls us beloved, invites us into the light, invites us into freedom and joy and peace and flourishing, hands us grace while we hand him sin. Why would we ever hide? If verse 9 is true, if we confess our sins, Jesus is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If verse 9 is true, which it is, and it is real and it is part of the biblical narrative that we get all wisdom and knowledge and insight from, why is sin still a taboo topic in the church today? The body of Christ. The beloved sons and daughters of the Most High God. I mean, if you look a little further down in John chapter 2, His pen hits the paper and he records, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins and not ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. I mean, if we believe Jesus to be Jesus, if we put our hope in the work of His cross and His resurrection, if it really is salvation by faith, by grace through faith, that we cannot earn or achieve this, but it is only ever and always found in and through and with Jesus, if our lives are now hidden in Christ Jesus and we are filled to the brim with the Holy Spirit, if we have the promise of His presence with us and in us, we need not hide in the darkness. We need not hide our sin. We need not hide our struggle. And we certainly do not need to keep on sinning or dismiss our dirty or banish our broken. If we confess, He is faithful to forgive. That's His promise to us. If we live in the light as He's in the light, flourishing in freedom is the result. That is His promise to us. Are you with me? That if we want this world, this city, this community, our friends, our families, our marriage, our our individual lives to experience signs and wonders, miracles, an outpouring of the Spirit, inexpressible joy, favor with all people, love that really truly looks and tastes like that of Jesus. If we want to be a community that is marked by the love of the living God, it can only come if we live in the light as He is in the light. Because you see, Jesus, He does not dabble with the darkness. He eradicates it. His response to the darkness in our lives, the sin that swells within our hearts, is to bring freedom, healing, and redemption for us and in us. But let us make no mistake. The invitation is always to come and live in the light. So the question for us would seemingly be this morning, then how do we do that? And yes, we could ask that question, but I believe the more accurate, the more deeper down underneath it all is that if you and I really trusted that Jesus is good loving and that we are forgiven we would already be living in the light do you believe that Jesus is loving today do you believe that Jesus is good do you believe that as you give all of your allegiance to him that right here right now as you sit you are completely forgiven Full stop. 
Is he good? Does he love you? Are you forgiven? Do you really believe it? Like peel back the curtain, get underneath the dirt in the rich, deep soil of your life. Do you really, honestly, truly believe it? No church games, no checkbox Christianity, no religious empty jargon. Do you really believe it? Is he good? Does he love you? Are you forgiven? Because if we do not believe that about Jesus, there is no way that you and I would ever be found living in the light. Because the darkness would be our only comfort. Everything in the light would be absolutely terrifying. For if Jesus is not good, is not loving, and does not forgive sin, friends, we better run and hide from the light of His presence. But if He is good, if He is loving, if He does have forgiveness in His hands for us, why would we ever waste a moment in the dark? Best part? Jesus, whoo, he's altogether good. He is completely and totally loving. And in our turning from sin, every single time, without delay and without measure or limit, he is forgiving towards us. That's Colossians 1. He has delivered us from the dominion of darkness, transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Let there be light are the words of our creator in Genesis 1. A light has dawned are the words of the prophet Isaiah. I am the light of the world is the declaration of Jesus. Live in the light is the invitation from John. Why all the emphasis on light all throughout the narrative of Scripture? Why does the light of His presence, the light of His love and His goodness and forgiveness actually matter? Because the light of the living God does not expose your sin and brokenness. No. It exposes that ever since he knit you together, ever since he set you apart, ever since he breathed life into your body and set eternity in your heart, he has never once, not for a moment, stopped calling you his beloved son and daughter. Not for a moment. And living in the light as he is in the light is the divine invitation to stop just hearing that, but believe it, receive it, and then spend every ordinary moment living from it. Is he good? Does he love you? Are you forgiven? Do you believe it? A mentor and friend of mine named Bill Page told me once that until I can look in the mirror and declare I am forgiven, loved, and that Jesus is always good towards me, I will never be able to live into my most true identity as a beloved. I will never live into the light as Jesus is in the light. I will always put myself on the cross rather than rest in the one who took it for me. Because unless I receive that truth and declare it in the depths of my heart over and over and over again, it will never transform the way in which I live. That until you and I can look at ourselves and see us as the Lord God sees us, we will always creep around in the darkness, thinking we must earn our way to love and approval. We will always scurry about in need for more or better or be left wanting. We will always be convinced by the enemy that we must hide our sin, carry our shame, and be burdened by the darkness. We will always be found believing the lie that the Lord God who made us doesn't actually have what is best for us. That until you and I can glance in the mirror and see a beloved, the lie in Genesis 3 
is still at large in life today. Because that's what the enemy does in the garden, isn't it? All the way back in the beginning, as the Lord God creates, he forms and he delights in us all. Genesis 1, the Bible records, then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And then the enemy of our soul inserts himself into the story. In Genesis chapter 3, verse 5, the enemy whispers a lie into the heart of humanity and says, you will not surely die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Hold on. Did we catch that? Genesis 1, the Lord God says, let us make man in our own image, after our likeness. So God created us in his image, resembling him. Then the enemy says, oh, yeah, yeah, no, no, no. God doesn't want you to eat of that because if you do, you will resemble God. But hold on. What did Genesis 1 already declare? What did the one true God already say on behalf of all of humanity? Let us make man in our image after our likeness. Meaning that you and I, we are created in the image of God. We bear his signature. We are designed to be like him. We are created uniquely and above all creatures in creation to resemble the image and likeness of the one true God. But the enemy, from the very beginning, has whispered a lie to us that this is not true that we don't bear his image, that we aren't made in his likeness, and that everything of his doesn't already belong to us. So into the darkness we go, searching and searching and looking, when the whole time what we are actually looking for is found in whose image we bear, in whose likeness we represent, that the enemy cannot take from us what the Lord God has already declared over us. But man, oh man, can he confuse us? But then that's the story in Luke 15, isn't it? The son runs away and squanders his life in reckless living, the Bible records. And then he comes to his senses and he starts to return home. Maybe you're familiar with the story. But he isn't headed home with a head held high. He's downcast. He has a speech recited. He thinks he's no longer worthy to be called a son. And you might be familiar with the passage. While the son is still a long way off, the Bible records that the father sees him. And he starts running towards him. He throws his arms around the son. And the son goes into his rehearsed speech. But the father, he lovingly interrupts. He turns to his servants and he says, go and get the best robe and put it on and put a, a ring on his finger and shoes on his feet for this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. This story, whoo, it is so scandalous. Layers and layers of grace that we can't even begin to comprehend. You see, the son ruined everything. Filled with sin, living in darkness, and returns home. But the father who's an example of the Heavenly Father, he sees his son from a long way off. And you know the interesting thing about a father and his kiddos? Is that the kiddos, they're made in the likeness of their dad. They carry his likeness. That no matter how much you and I do not think we deserve the image and likeness of the God who created us, here we are. We bear his signature. And the father in this story, he clothes this son who is dirty and full of mess and sin with the best robe in the house. 
the father's robe. Puts a ring on his finger. That's a sign of family. Puts shoes on his feet because servants and workers, they don't wear shoes, but sons do. And the father in this story, he doesn't just want a hired worker back. No. The father in this story wants the one who bears his image. Because before the son ran away, who did he belong to? The father. Before you and I ever got mixed up with the darkness, whose likeness did we come from? The father's. But even better, the older brother, he gets upset, remember? But the father, his response, son, you are always with me. All that is mine is yours. That's Genesis 1. Let us make man in our image after our likeness. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created us. Why in your image, God? Why in your likeness? Because I want you always with me. Because all that is mine is yours. Do you see it? Living in the light as he is in the light is the divine invitation to not just hear this truth, but believe it, receive it, and spend every ordinary moment living from it. Because as we look around today, it's really easy to blame what is most disrupting to the way of Jesus and people coming to know the love of the living God. But it's not the world or society or culture. It's those that claim Christ but look nothing like Him. Those that claim Jesus but live in the dark. Those that claim the cross but deny their belovedness. Those that say they have the love of Jesus deep in their hearts but with their breath don't sound anything like it. That's why Jesus rebukes the Pharisees and never the sinners. Because when I hold up my sin and my shame and my pride and my brokenness and I hold it up next to the love of Jesus, it does not stand a chance. So the most destructive thing that I can do, being a person who claims to know the love of God, the most destructive thing that we can do as followers of Jesus, the church, the body of Christ, is claim the gospel, but deny that Jesus is good. Deny that He's loving and not be able to look at ourselves and declare the truth that we are forgiven. To live in the light is to joyfully declare, here's my sin. But that's not the end of the story. Because here's my Savior. And I am not ashamed of either. Because this Jesus, He looks at me. The Heavenly Father, He looks at me and He gives me a new name and He invites me home. We've talked about it before, but let me remind us this morning. You know how you and I, we read or hear Bible stories and it's always a description or a given identifier of someone. We read stories like the man with leprosy, the bleeding woman, the crippled man, the man on the mat, the boy with the withered hand, the, the dead girl, the woman caught in adultery, the unclean prostitute, the unwelcome tax collector, the glutton, the drunkard, the woman at the well. And in every account, we, the people of the crowd, we call them and us by those titles. But every single time, Jesus, he calls them by something else. I say to you, daughter, arise. I say to you, son, stand and walk. I say to you, daughter, go and sin no more. I say to you, son, stretch out your hand. I say to you, daughter, I am he, Zacchaeus, Mary, Peter, Philip, Paul, and even John, who's inviting us to live in the light as Jesus is in the light. Jesus, in every account, calls out their most true identity. The one that they received in Genesis 1. The one that declares that you and I, we bear his image and we are crafted in his likeness. 
If almost every account of Scripture when Jesus encounters broken and hurting and sinful people declares that you are the beloved of the Most High God, don't you think it's about time you and I start to believe it? At the very depths of your heart, is there fear? Is there longing? Is there chaos that needs order? Are there wounds that need to be healed? Is there love that needs to be known? You see, it's not that you and I are not the beloved. No! You and I are unshakably, undeniably loved by Jesus. The question is, will we step out of the darkness and live into the light as Jesus invites us to? Will we confess our sin for He is faithful to forgive? Will we have fellowship with one another and allow the blood of Jesus to cleanse all righteousness and daily, moment by moment, be found declaring and remembering that the one true God, oh, He is good. He loves you. And we are forgiven. Let's pray together this morning. Father God, we thank You that right here and right now we can run to You. That no matter what mess we're in, no matter the sin in our story, no matter how broken or prideful we might feel, that right here and right now, there is nothing that we could ever do to distort the image and likeness that we were created in. So Jesus, we ask that you would heal. We ask that you would set free. We ask that you would give us enough courage that when we see ourselves, we would say, wow, that's a beloved of the Most High God. We ask that you would reveal to us that you are good, that you are loving, and that we are forgiven. We ask that you would create us to be a community that does not look around and call each other by names or labels, but looks around and declares, imperfect as we all are, we are sons and daughters of you, the Most High God. Thank you that when you knit us together, you never abandoned us. Thank you that when you etched eternity into our hearts, you are always faithful in coming towards us. Thank you that you are the Lord God who has the power to forgive sin, make us whole and healed. We come to you today. We desire your presence. And we thank you that it is not perfection that you're after, but it's a heart. So we bring them to you broken and shattered, and we worship you and love you. It's in your mighty name, Jesus, all the beloved said, amen.